Mark chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, please open up and turn there. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is my joy to be able to uh, open up the scriptures and share what God's word has for us today. Uh, Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for just all your good gifts that you give us. We thank you for your grace. We know we don't deserve it. And we thank you for that. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. That it is his sacrifice that, that allows us to, to be at peace with you. To be in a right relationship with you. God, will you strengthen our faith today? Will you show us what your word has for us and, and allow your Holy Spirit to press it upon our hearts? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, um, you, you just heard that, you know, I, I had two birthdays in my house this week. Uh, doesn't it seem like you, you blink and, and kids just grow up? Like, just way too fast. Uh, it feels like, and, and their clothing suggests, that they are just growing way too fast. But um, that's what happens, right? That's what happens with families. That's what happens with kids. And it's certainly happening in our house. But as, as kids grow up, as they mature, you start to give them a little bit of responsibility, right? You know, a little bit more chores. That's what's happening in our house. Uh, you give them a little bit more chores, but along with that added responsibility comes some added benefit, right? And maybe you get to stay up a little bit later. Maybe that movie or something that, that originally we said, no, you can't watch. Maybe you get to watch it now. As, as people grow and mature, you tend to get more responsibility. And with that comes some added benefits. And my youngest two kids are really picking up on this right now. Because when I say bedtime, they usually start to try to negotiate. You know, bedtime. Uh, and, but I don't know if anybody else's kids, but my kids always seem to forget what that means. You know, <laughs> hey, it's bedtime. Ooh. You know? All right, you got to go brush your teeth. You got you to do these things. Like, it's every night. Why do I have to, you know? Uh, but lately, it's, I, I tell them to go to bed, and there's a, I get in pajamas, and then I can play for a little bit. No. Oh. Go to bed, you know? And there's that negotiation. They recognize that there's an increase in responsibility that they have, but with these added benefits, now they're starting to ask, well, wait a minute, when he asks me to do something, what do I get out of it, you know? And I want to say, when they try to bargain with me and I tell them bedtime, they're like, can I, can I play for a little bit? Like, what do I get out of it? I try to, I want to say, like, you get a warm bed, you know? Like, get in it, you know? But, but I don't, you know? Well, sometimes I do. Um, but I try to handle it with grace. And as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking that we're kind of like that a little bit with God. All right? As we grow up in our faith with Jesus, we understand that there are responsibilities that are placed upon us. But sometimes we want to shirk our responsibility. We want the benefits of following Jesus sometimes without some of the responsibility. That happens in our life. And we need to be reminded by the scriptures of what's our job? What do we owe to God? Because 
We owe something to God. We are responsible for something. We have to ask ourselves what that is. We need to be careful with our own bargaining and recognize what God is due. That's one of the things that we're, that we're looking at in this passage. And we're going to see that we need to recognize God's authority because disciples recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that we're going to see in our passage today. And then we're going to see that disciples have a responsibility, and that responsibility is to bear fruit. You'll recall where we've been in the Gospel of Mark that for several weeks now, we've kind of been talking about this idea of being productive, being productive with, with your walk, that there's a responsibility to bear fruit in your life, and that's kind of... Um, that's what's been talked about lately. You'll remember Jesus is, has arrived at Jerusalem, right? And he goes into the temple and he sees that the, that the temple is not productive. It's not bearing the fruit that he would expect, right? So he cleans house. He starts to uh, fix things. And then last week, Joe talked about uh, the sandwich that Mark uses to talk about the, the fruit production. I know I said the word sandwich. Lunch is almost here. I will, I will get through this, and then we can eat. But uh, that, that there's an emphasis uh, placed upon the fruitlessness of the temple, and, and that that was why the, the fig tree was cursed. And now we're going to see Jesus use an image of a vineyard to talk about fruitlessness and the consequences of that. And in turn, it gives us an opportunity to reflect upon the authority of Jesus in our lives and to think about our own responsibility of bearing fruit to God. So that's, that's where we're going today. And the big question we're trying to at, uh, answer is, how can we faithfully give God what is owed to him, that being our fruit? So uh, please turn in your Bibles. Mark chapter 11, uh, we'll begin in verse 27. First thing we see is that disciples of Jesus recognize his authority. Verse 27, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you authority to do these things? Right? Jesus had just started to clean up the temple. And it, his ministry up until this point has involved healing and, and teaching. And the scribes and the Pharisees typically did not like his teaching because he was also challenging them. And, and so they asked this question, what authority do you have to do these things? Now, they're not asking it earnestly. They're not, they're not asking, well, please tell us what authority you do these things because we, we want to follow you and we want to know where your authority derives from so that we can understand and follow you. No, it's accusatory in nature, right? Who gave you the right to do these things? Who gave you the authority to do this? We're the ones in charge around here. That's the idea that they're asking this question with. You don't have the authority. We do. And Jesus cleverly answers this question. Look at verse 29. He said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things was the baptism of John, he's talking about John the Baptist, from heaven or from men? Answer me. 
This is a common form of, uh, of debate, uh, particularly in rabbinic circles at this time. Um, I'll answer your question with a question of my own. I'm going to ask you a question, and in that question, I'm answering it, but I need you to answer my question first. That, that's what's happening here. And of course, they begin to reason with themselves, and they begin to think. Well, if we say that John's authority was from heaven, then by implication, Jesus' authority is from heaven. Heaven being a euphemism for God. Mm, we don't like that. Well, what if we say that his authority is from men? In other words, it, it wasn't divine. John's authority wasn't divine. It was, it was derived from just uh, from, from an earthly sense, right? He spoke with authority in an earthly sense. Mm. He claimed to be a prophet, and the people believed him to be a prophet. So if we do that, there's going to be a problem because of all of these people here. In fact, look at what the, uh, look at what the text says. It says, uh, verse uh, 31, They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven... He will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to be a real prophet. So what do they say? Answering Jesus, they say, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, well, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Disciples should recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. That, that's the main thing that we need to see in this first section. And they're trying to get out of it. They're trying to say, hey, if we say this, well, that's not good. If we say this, that's not good. Well, so we have to say, we don't know. And it's just sad because they were recognizing the dilemma but not recognizing the authority of the Son of God that was standing right before them. Now, I want you to underline in your Bible that they feared people, verse uh, 32. They were afraid of the people. Underline that. That's going to be important. We're going to see that again later in this passage. They were more afraid of the people around them than God. So they didn't recognize his authority. But we know we're supposed to. And as I was preparing this, my wife and I, we like to watch shows from like you know, BBC or, or, or The Crown or whatever that reflect uh, uh, the royal family, you know, uh, in, in England, in Great Britain. I forgot what those, that country was, first service. Um, but, you know, they, they, they've had a queen for a long time, right? Now there's a king. Now there's a king. The queen passed away, and now we have uh, the king of England. And he's a very prestigious figure, right? Wears nice things, has nice houses, nice cars, even a castle, right? Uh, Obviously, he's someone of, of great importance, right? The people of England even verbally uh, give him praise and, and recognition of who he is. You would think he's probably one of the most powerful people in the world. But he really doesn't have any power, right? In, in, their, in, in their in government, the king doesn't have voting power in the government. The king doesn't have veto power. Sure, he can influence, he can suggest, right? There are aspects that are important to, to what the monarchy in England does. But for governmental rule, there's, there's not a lot of power. 
He's encased in his castle. And sometimes we do that with God, don't we? We do that with Jesus. We can uh, encase God in really fancy buildings that we call churches. We give him verbal praise and verbal recognition of who he is. But sometimes we, we push back on his authority, don't we? We say, all right, I recognize your authority when I'm in your house, but uh, when I'm at home, in my house, I'm the one in charge. Now, some of you are chuckling, but the reality is, is that we actually do that. We do that when, when we say, all right, I'm going to read your word. I see something I don't like. I'm just going to kind of ignore that and keep going with what I want to do with my life. That is you not recognizing the authority of God. Or when you know that something you're doing in your life is sinful, but you choose to continue to do it, that's not recognizing the authority of God, saying you're the one that's actually in charge of your life. So we know this happens, and it's a problem. Disciples need to recognize the authority of Jesus in their life for them to be able to move forward with a fruitful life. That's the first thing. You have to recognize his authority. And then, once you recognize his authority, then we need to recognize our responsibility to produce fruit. We have a responsibility to produce fruit. Look at, look at what Jesus does. A after this exchange, he moves into speaking uh, through a parable to them. So, uh, the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1. He says, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. And Jesus uses language here that, that's uh, rooted in Isaiah chapter 5. I'm going to turn there. You can turn there if you'd like, but I just, I just want you to hear it. Isaiah chapter 5. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. The imagery here is of, of Israel, particularly Judah. And in Isaiah chapter 5, the context here is that there is going to be judgment because there was no fruit being produced. And the scribes and the elders and the Pharisees would hear Jesus creating this setting for this parable, and they would have recognized almost immediately that it's Isaiah chapter 5. See, like, when we, have, when we have a loose idea of what a, a Bible verse is, what do we do? We go to Google, right? That's what I do. Sometimes. Be still and know that I am... Oh, what's that last word? Let me type that into Google. God. Okay, got it. And that's from Psalm 46... 
10. Okay, cool. Psalm 46.10. But I mean, that, that's kind of what we do, right? We, we go to the internet, we type in a little bit of the verse, we get it, and then hopefully we go to the Bible <laughs> after that and actually read the verse and the section. I mean, that, that's kind of normal. I don't know if you all know this, but they didn't have Google in Jesus' day. You know? Like, that, that wasn't a thing. They actually knew where these verses were located. They, they would hear this setting and they would be like, okay, go get me the scroll of Isaiah. Like, I know right where that is. I can probably even, like, you know, kind of turn to it. And I know, I know where it is that Jesus is talking about. They knew it. They read it. They were steeped in the Old Testament. So they would have recognized this, and they probably would recognize the context also of judgment for fruitlessness. You see the theme, how it's continuing in the book of Mark here? That there's a theme of fruitlessness that, that's being dealt with. So they would have recognized it. The, uh, the, the vineyard uh, is an allusion to Israel. The fence was related to the law, uh, that which kept God's people separate unto God. Uh, the tower was representative of the temple, and the wine press uh, was the altar. And look at what he says at verse 2. At harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine grower. Notice that phrase, harvest time. You kind of circle that. Uh, some of your Bibles might have, might have a note there. It doesn't, uh, the more literal translation would be like at the proper time or at the right time. Who decides when the right time is for harvest? Is it not the owner of the vineyard? When the owner says, it's time, give me the fruit that has been produced. That's what should be done, the handing over of the fruit. How many times do we not respect God's timing in our own life? That, that we try to get God on our timetable when, when we need to remember, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to stick to God's timetable. I just love little things like that in Scripture that point that out to us. It's the owner that asks for the fruit. That's what's happening here. All right, let's see how the vine growers respond to asking for the fruit. So the slave is sent to get some of the produce of the vineyard. And then look at verse 3. They took him, these are the vine growers, they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another slave. They wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed, and so with many others, beating some and killing others. Do you see this, this escalation in hostility? Right? The, the, the first one, uh, they, they wound him in the head and treat him shamefully and send him away, right? Then they move to, to beating and killing and more killing. Like, it, it, it just, it escalates. It's it's shameful. It's horrible, the, the escalating hostility that is being done to the people that are meant to represent the owner here. The word there for slave is doulos in Greek. It's the same word that Paul uses when he says, I'm a, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. The, there's this idea of, of connection between him and Jesus that can't be separated, but also that, that he is a representative of Christ. 
And these slaves in this parable get treated terribly. And as I was uh, thinking about this escalating that was taking place, this, this, this escalating hostility, I kind of thought about my family a little bit. I thought about my family, uh, mainly my kids, because I have three boys. You know, they, they can wrestle, and it tends to escalate, right? Um, but years and years and years ago, my, my, my youngest boy, Aaron, he, he was going through a little bit of a spitting face. He went through a little bit of a spitting face, and uh, he, you know, he would just you know, walk around playing and all that kind of stuff, but, but he, he would spit on his brothers. They would wrestle a little bit, and I, I remember distinctly uh, they were in the other room, and I heard them wrestling, and then I could hear uh, one of my older boys like just going, stop, stop, you know? And I was hearing the spitting. And so I go and look, and I, first of all, I, I need to do it a little bit on my kids. My kids are great. My kids are so good because uh, my two older boys are definitely a lot stronger than their younger brother, but he was on top of them, right? And they could, they could have easily pushed him off, but they, but they knew that if they did that, I'd probably get mad. So, <laughs> so they were just telling him to stop, right? And he's on top of them going, like just, you know, on them. And I remember saying, I remember saying to them, or to Aaron, stop spitting on your brother. Stop spitting on your brother. And sometimes he listens when I say things like that. And sometimes he doesn't. And occasionally I will adjust my language to try to show the, that escalation, to, to match the escalation, to show the emphasis. And I remember saying, Stop spitting on my son. Stop spitting on my son. Yeah, no. Uh, this is what he did. This is what Aaron did. He maintained eye contact with me, right? Just leaned over slowly. He just kept going, right? It was outright rebellion. He did not recognize my authority, right? He stayed in his rebellion and he just spit all over my son. Look what happens in this parable. Look what happens. The owner sends his own son, and look what happens. Verse 8. They took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. They took him, they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. We may not understand how disgraceful this is in our, in our culture today, but to, to not give someone a proper burial in that culture was very disgraceful. They threw him out of the vineyard. They disgraced him. I begin to think about this, this escalating hostility and the rebellion that these vine growers show. And I, and I thought about the rebellion that I see in my own kids, and I thought, you know, when we rebel against Jesus' authority in our life, it's like we are spitting in his face. That's what's happening. When God, through his word, tells us, don't do that, or do that, and we choose not to listen to it, that's what we're doing. It's just disgraceful 
to the person of Jesus Christ. The person that, that, we, that we say that we love as Christians. The person that, that we say that we follow. It's terrible that we do that. But it happens. And we need to take it seriously. Look, look at what uh, the owner does in light of this rebellion from these people that are meant to produce fruit and give them to the owner. Look at what the owner does. Verse 9. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. They had a responsibility to produce fruit for their owner. They had that responsibility. And they failed in that responsibility. And Jesus setting this parable up in in the context of Isaiah chapter 5 these religious leaders would recognize that that's what's happening also. That, that, that he's, he's talking about them. That they have a responsibility to bear fruit. And that they were failing. And he talks through this parable. And the slaves are, are alluding to the prophets that have been sent in the Old Testament and how the people did not respect them, did not listen to them. Right? And then he talks about the son that's going to be sent. And that the son was beaten and killed and thrown out of the vineyard. And he says this just days away from his own crucifixion. He knows he's going to die. And that's what he's telling these people. He says this in a parable to them. And of course, he really drives it home by quoting from uh, Psalm 118, look at, verse, uh, look at verse 10. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. We know this as a, as a messianic reference uh, to Jesus, that Jesus becomes uh, the chief cornerstone of the church, right? The church of the New Testament. We know that this is the reference here. And I just, I feel like there is an opportunity for the religious leaders to say, wow, I, I recognize your authority. I recognize your authority. Look at how they respond. Do they see that he's the son of God? Do they recognize his authority? Do they turn from their self-righteousness? Do they turn back toward God? Do they start producing fruit? No. No, they don't. Verse 12. And they were seeking to seize him. And yet they feared the people. There's that phrase again. Underline that in your Bible. They feared the people. For they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. This is a warning to us. That, that we can't fear people more than God. We, we know that uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? That, that there is an aspect in which... Our knowledge of God, that, that there is a connection with us fearing him. And when we begin to fear people over God, we can make all sorts of mistakes. They feared people instead of fearing God. The Son of God stood right before them. And they go away from here, and we know that they start plotting on how they're going to kill him. sad 
they were responsible to bear fruit. The fruit in this context would be uh, to, to grow and care for the people of Israel. And they weren't doing that. The temple was fruitless. So we need to take it as a warning to us because we are responsible for bearing fruit. It's a warning to us as well that we need to take seriously. Now, uh, I, I do want to commend you. I, I love this church so much. And when we talk about bearing fruit, producing fruit, yes, it's the, that's the context of character. And that, that was referenced last week from Galatians chapter 5. Joe talked about that, that, that the fruit of the Spirit, that the growth of character within you is uh, evidence of producing fruit in your life, the Spirit producing fruit in your life. But producing fruit is also uh, mentioned in the context of evangelism, discipleship, service. And I, I got to tell you, this church is awesome. This church is awesome because you guys take this seriously. I, I was thinking through just some of the things I, I just want to talk about for a moment. You, you know, our, 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 I don't know, it's not a hashtag, motto, tagline, I don't know, uh, Del Rio Bible Church, a place to grow, like, that wasn't by accident. We want everyone to grow here. This is just some of the things that I've seen from y'all to talk about your growth and, 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 and the fruit that you are bearing for the Lord. Uh, serving one another. We had, we've had people come and, and, and talk to me about, about greenhouse and serving in the greenhouse and how to get more people and, and they've, they've gotten ideas about how to do that. Uh, we've had people put on sports camps Year after year in the summer, uh, we, just, we just had uh, a, a summer camp for kids, camp creation. Uh, people, you know, serve in worship ministry. People make awesome crock pots of food and, and bring them for our fellowship lunches. People trim the hedges without asking. Stripe the parking lot recognize that someone uh, needs something and, and chooses to take care of their lawn, mow their lawn, just because they know that they need it. We've got a great meals ministry that, that tries to serve this group of people. We come together in prayer for one another. Many of you are, are, are active and, and involved in, in daily in people's lives. We've got a mops ministry. We've got lots of groups that people are involved in. I mean, it's really amazing to me. And I, I think about Awana Wednesday nights. Our Awana ministry is, is amazing. I love being a part of that. It's not easy. And the, the leaders just show up every week, and they're reinvigorated by the joy of these kids. It's so great. Trail life. Seeing, like, seeing people invest in, in the mentorship of young men for Christ. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. You guys know there's a butt coming, right? We can always get better. We can always grow. We're always supposed to continue to grow. So um, how do we produce fruit? How, how, do we, how do we capitalize on what's been happening and actually begin to produce fruit? Uh, I began to think of 
uh, my wife as I was thinking about growing and fruit production. Do y'all know, like, she's kind of known around here for having, a, a, like, a green thumb. Like, our house has a ton of plants. So many plants that sometimes I go to take a shower, and the shower is filled with plants. So I'm like, I guess I'm not showering today. You know, uh, there's, just, there's just plants everywhere. But what you might not know, she didn't always have a green thumb. There was a time in which if there was a plant in our house, I was like, that thing's dead. Because she killed everything. She killed everything. But she grew. She got better at it. She kept working at it. And it's pretty amazing. And, and now in our house, there's, there's these trellises all over the house uh, to, to try to help plants grow in, in a good direction. And, and she learned that one of the things that helps plants grow is when there's a trellis, that, that there is a way for the plant to grow, that it doesn't just flop around on the ground. Right? She kind of has a plan. And last week, Joe alluded to this passage. He, he, he mentioned this, but I think this is an important passage for us when we think about our own fruit production. If you, if you can, turn with me uh, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And this is Jesus uh, speaking to his disciples. This is what he says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Literally there, it's he lifts up. He lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And that's what, that's what Joe talked about last week, that, that there's an aspect in which we need to engage in the word. And he gave, he gave some plans. I hope you all have taken that to heart and started a Bible reading plan. And look at what he says right here. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. That word abide is seen over and over again in this passage. It's, it's, uh, it comes from the Greek word meno, which means abide. But it also means remain, to dwell in, to make your home in. It's this idea of, of, of connection and staying, staying there. Stay connected to Jesus. Abide in me. And I was preparing this, and I saw all these trellises that are around the house and this great uh, fruit production, basically, that was going on with our houses with all, the, with all these plants. And Wouldn't you know it? Around this time, they also used trellises. And, and they, would, they would weave the vines because they knew that, that being connected to the vine would bear fruit, but being connected with a trellis also helped with that fruit production. And the word in, in the ancient world uh, for trellis, the word that was used was regula. It's where we get our word regular. It's also where we get the word rule. And I don't mean like a set of rules, but like a rule of life. A way of life. St. Benedict uh, came up with this idea of a rule of life, that, there, that there, was, there, there was an importance to develop a rule of life for your own spiritual growth. That there's a way of life. And, and thinking about it and developing it, in other words, uh, developing a trellis so that you're growing properly is important. 
It's kind of like a training plan. Do I have any runners in the room? Wow. Okay, one. There was one last service, too. This is really good. This is awesome. Because it means most of you are biblical Christians, like me, right? Because uh, Proverbs 28 says that only the wicked run when no one is chasing them. <laughs> so I'm seeking a religious exemption for my PT test. We'll, we'll see if that comes back. But, like, running without a training program is pretty tough. My wife and I, we ran a half marathon years ago. We didn't train. We didn't train. I'm reminded of, of that, I think it's Benjamin Franklin, that, that the phrase of um, uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I, right? That, I think that's the phrase. He's wrong. He's wrong. Because we didn't have a training plan. I mean, we did. We just didn't follow it, I guess. But we didn't train for this half marathon, and we ran out, and we ran it, and we finished it. We finished the half marathon. Now, had we stuck to a training plan, we probably wouldn't have been in so much pain because it hurt to walk for, like, days. So maybe we should have had a training plan. The point is this. If you want to actually change something in your life, like producing more fruit, growing in your walk with Christ, you have to think about what you are trellised to. Because you are trellised to something. We are, we are creatures of habit. We are very easily persuaded. And companies know this, right? Because you, you get a new app, and one of the first things that app asks you is, do you want to enable notifications, right? No! I don't want any notifications. Yeah, right. We always click, yeah, I want, I want notifications. And then it start, starts giving you little notifications. Or, or The app has developed a way to get you to keep coming back to it over and over again. Why? Because companies know that we are creatures that are formed by habit. We, we form our habits, and then, and then we stick with them. In other words, we grow... We grow our own little trellis, and we start going in a direction. We have to ask ourselves, and this is the main thing that I want you to think about today. What direction are you going? Does the trellis of your life, does the way that you are living reflect fruit-bearing for God? Or not? And as you think about that, I just have a couple of things that maybe you can change. One rule that I want you to think about as you do this and as you, as you begin to think about some things that you can do to, to trellis yourself to the vine, to Jesus. As you begin to think through this, don't try to do too much too fast, right? Don't be like my wife and I and go out and run a half marathon without having done anything. It hurts, okay? Don't try to do too much too fast. So, just a couple of changes that maybe you can, you can institute, all right, that are small changes that'll start you in the direction. First, this thing right here. This thing can be a very powerful thing for your walk with Christ. Your phone can be powerful for your walk with Christ, right? I have an 8 a.m. reminder that goes off on my phone 
uh, every morning. Don't forget your daily Bible reading. There, there's great Bible study tools. There's Bible apps, all of that kind of stuff. But it can also be a negative for your walk with Christ. And one of the ways in which it can be a negative, and I see this a lot, is for when we use Bible software or Bible study software, and then we get like a notification, like a text message or an email or a sale on Amazon, right? And all of a sudden, now we're over here when we should have been in the Word. So one change, that if you're someone that's easily distracted by your electronic device as you're studying the Word of God, get a paper Bible. Get a paper Bible. If you don't have one, we have them in the back. Come talk to me. I have like 40 at my house because I just keep buying Bibles. That's what I do. Uh, I, will give it, I will give one to you. Get a paper Bible. Put your phone on Do Not Disturb. And when you're in the Word, spend time in the Word. Okay? Don't get distracted. That's one. Uh, note taking. Some of you are amazing note takers in here. And I know this because weeks after I have preached a sermon and forgotten about my own sermon, someone will come up and say, oh, you said this, and it will be a very specific thing. And I think that's really cool. Some of you are great note takers. If you're not a note taker, give it a try. Give it a try. Just try, like, outlining some of the basic things to help you stay connected to what's being spoken in the sermon. Uh, we provide you an opportunity to do that. We have, we have the, the, the uh, recap that has a section for notes. If I'm the one that does the recap, I tend to be very long-winded, so you might have to turn it over and use the backside to write your notes, but that's okay. Take notes. Stay engaged in what's being spoken. So that, that's the second thing. Maybe journaling. Maybe you're someone that, that doesn't journal, but you want to to try to help form your thoughts. Give it a try. Give it a try. If you're not in, a, in one of the groups that we offer, I encourage you to get involved. We have groups, like, all through the week. There, there's different kinds of groups and everything. Come talk to me, and I can help you get plugged in. Or maybe you're somebody that is connected to a group, but you're inconsistent. Try to be more consistent as you build that trellis to, to help you create a way of life that will produce fruit. Maybe share meals with one another. And yes, I left this for last because we're about to go share a meal. And if you're somebody that's, that tends to be like, oh, I didn't make anything, so I'm not going to stay, maybe the change you do is you stay today. Talk to somebody new. Talk to people. Enjoy good food. Maybe you invite people over to your house later, right? And you have a meal together. Or maybe you, like, try to get invited to people's houses. I don't know. You know, get, hey, Pastor Chris said we're supposed to share meals together, huh? You know, I, be involved in people's lives. Share meals with one another. These are, these are small things that we see in the scriptures that we are supposed to do in Christ. As a body of believers. So maybe just institute a couple of these small changes. But the first thing is to abide. You have to abide in Christ. And that is about union in Christ. If you are someone here that does not have union with Christ because you haven't placed your faith in him, this is the moment right now. This is the moment. 
to become connected to the vine. To place your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've already done that, stay connected to him. Stay connected to him. And your thoughts and your actions and your affections, stay connected to Christ. In a moment, we're going to sing a song that, that reflects on this idea. That when we abide in Christ, it's about our dependence in the Lord for all aspects of our life. Because we need to recognize Jesus' authority everywhere in our life. And I pray that as we walk together, we learn what it means to abide a little bit more every day. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I, I thank you for, for sharing this word with us today. I, I ask that you would, you would help us to be uh, faithful to your word, that we, would, that we would take seriously your call to abide with your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would think about the ways in which um, our habits have been formed that are not helpful toward walking with Jesus, and that you would help us uh, begin to make changes that we would begin to to make decisions that that would be fruitful for our lives that would help us be trellised to your son the true vine and that we would begin to grow oh god will you do that for us today it's in jesus name i pray amen